All right, Proverbs chapter 6, and I will read verses 6 through 11. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. May God bless the preaching of his word. I was reading a recent issue of Entomology Today, published by the Entomological Society of America. They are devoted to bringing the world the most exciting scientific discoveries and breaking news in the world of insects. And uh, the article that I read, I'm not a regular reader, but the article that I read is entitled, Heroes, Not Headaches, Reframing the Reputation of Harvester Ants. And writing with an impassioned resolve to restore the damaged reputation of ants everywhere, uh, the article from a PhD student says the following, the reasons why some species are perceived as pests are often flawed. This is especially true for native species that play important roles in their ecosystems. Every entomologist knows the struggle, yes we do, every entomologist knows the struggle of convincing someone of the importance of a maligned species or of convincing someone that social perceptions of a supposed pest are actually rubbish. And then it says, no insect better exemplifies this than the harvester ant. I actually love the energy I was getting from this article, like the passion. Everyone should have a cause. If your cause is the reputation of ants, then you pour your heart you know, into, into that work. The article later concludes, the status of harvester ants as beneficial is well supported, while most pest perceptions of ants are not fully supported and mostly stem from prejudice. That is, prejudice against ants is what has ruined their reputation. And so in a world of apathy where so many insects are looked down upon and maligned, finally truth is being spoken to the masses in entomology today. <laughs> Harvester ants were common in Palestine and they are the ants that are in view in Proverbs chapter 6. They live in dry regions, they specialize in harvesting seeds and storing grain in their nests. They're capable in fact of making enormous nests comprised of thousands of ants. Yes, I did learn some about Harvester ants this week. Uh, verses 6 through 8 call us to go to the ant and consider her ways. There's a positive example of work. And then verses 9 through 11, <laughs> rebuke the lazy sluggard as a contrasting negative example of work. Every one of us has something to learn from the ant today. And this command to consider and learn from the ant comes from God himself. We are to go to the ant. We are to consider her ways that we might 
grow in wisdom. Anthony Salvaggio says, what an ironic testimony to the extent of our fallen nature. Here the book of Proverbs calls for humanity, the very pinnacle of God's creation, to be instructed by a tiny insect. Man, who was placed on the earth to have dominion over all creation, must sit at the feet of the ant to learn a rudimentary lesson on work. Today we together come to sit at the feet of the ant to learn about work. The wisdom literature of the Bible contributes powerfully to our understanding of work. In this series, we won't have time to survey all of that content. According to the book of Job, you can work hard and faithfully and still end up in poverty and loss. According to Proverbs, diligent work is the path of wisdom and flourishing. According to Ecclesiastes, work makes you want to bang your head against the wall weep like a child, and despair of life itself. One of the reasons that the book of Proverbs was written, according to chapter 1, verse 4, is to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. And you study the book of Proverbs, and it's extraordinary how frequently in this book we have this theme appear of laziness and work. It is a dominant theme in this book, this contrast between the sluggard and the diligent is one that appears not only in this passage, but repeatedly throughout the book. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5, Proverbs 13, verse 4, Proverbs 15, verse 19, and more. The fact that work appears so prominently in the book of Proverbs is a reminder to young men and women and to children, to youth and to children everywhere, to be hard workers. And in fact, parents, one of your goals in raising your children, even the children that we just had on this stage, one of the goals that we ought to have in mind in raising our children is to teach them to be hard workers. So parents, require your children to do work, to complete their chores, to clean up after themselves. When they are grown, they ought to say, our parents made us work hard as kids. Where'd you learn your work ethic? My parents taught me that. They taught us to work hard. Don't be reluctant to give your kids big jobs. Teach them that a grumbling response to work is a mark of laziness. Teach them that laziness is lame. Teach them that laziness is the path of destruction. Teach them that laziness ought to be booed, you know, boo, thumbs down, laziness. There's actually a Sovereign Grace music song. It's a kid's album. The song, I think it might be called Lazy Bones, but I love this song. It's Lazy Bones Can Help Us See What We Never Want to Be, Doesn't Have a Hope or a Clue. It just taps into the, the Proverbs energy of mocking the sluggard. Get your kids singing that song. Lazy bones is not what we want to be. One of my first jobs when I was nearing my teenage years was the family newspaper route that we had. My, my parents tried to make me a hard worker. They really tried. It just didn't take uh, during my, my teen years. And, uh, and that was evidenced in the newspaper route. So we would 
fold all these newspapers, load them up, and then drive uh, and, and deliver newspapers. My brother and sister would run newspapers from the family van to the porches while I would do the world's slowest walk, slowing down the entire operation. If I wasn't highly motivated to care about something, I brought the sluggard's mindset to it. During the years that I was homeschooled, I knew where my mom kept the book of answers to math, Saxon math. I locked myself in the bathroom and copied answers. Sneak the book, copy the answers. That's that sluggard mindset that I would bring to things. Later in my teen years, I worked at Fox's grocery store. I worked at Romeo's Pizza in Wildwood, New Jersey one summer. I worked for the Pennsylvania Turnpike uh, collecting tolls before Easy Pass ran me out of a job. But that used to be a thing. You used to have people who collect the money. That's where I listened to so many sermons, all of Lloyd-Jones' lectures on revival and preachers and preaching, all of it was in that little toll booth as I would collect from people who drove through. Um, I then worked shortly after being married as a forklift operator for a, a short period of time, uh, including some night shifts. And then I spent three years as a high school art teacher um, Boiling Springs High School and uh, before becoming a pastor. And pastor is the job that I've had for the longest amount of time. But here's the thing. No matter what your work is, whether it's paid work or other work, we all have something to learn from the ant in this passage. You can think of this passage as, as providing a profile of a wise, diligent, faithful worker. What does it mean? What do we learn from the ant, and what does it mean to be that kind of diligent and faithful worker? What are the marks of a diligent worker? Well, we'll move through these. I have got a little carried away in my study of ants. Seven. I have seven points. All right, we'll move at a decent clip here, though. Here we go. First, learn and grow. Learn and grow. This command, verse 6, go to the ant, the command to consider her ways, means we're exhorted to learn about work. We're exhorted to grow and deepen our understanding. The starting, the starting point here is go. Go, consider, learn. Initiate a study. Seek to learn. Consider how your life needs to change. So whatever your work or calling is, whether it's in the home or in the office, whether it's with your hands or with your mind, we should seek to grow in wisdom and skill in the calling God has given us, in our vocation. For me, that means I want to always be pressing on to be more effective in my work as a pastor. How do we grow in work? How do we learn about work? Well, it begins by turning to God's Word, which we've done today and we've done throughout this series. It can also involve study and reading other books that will help us grow in thinking about work. And it involves, as we see in Proverbs 6, our passage here, observing God's world. Go to the ant and consider. The point is that there is learning. There is growth. There is progress. Now here's something I was reflecting on. This passage assumes that we are capable of learning and growing and changing. In fact, this passage reminds us that the sluggard is not hopeless. The sluggard can become wise. The criticism that's even there in this passage, go to the ant, O sluggard, how long will you lie there, O sluggard, that criticism is constructive and it is for our good. 
God is a God of grace, grace to save us in Christ from the judgment that we deserve. Jesus Christ died that we might be forgiven of our many sins. And God is full of grace, not only to forgive our sins, but to change us and to transform us in Christ. He died that we might honor him in all of life. By the grace of God, sluggards can be forgiven and set free. And so let that motivate all of us to learn and to grow. Second, be self-governed and self-motivated. Verse 7 says, Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, the ant works. I almost panicked when I saw that there's chiefs in our sermon text today. I thank God... I thank God it doesn't say go to the chiefs and consider the chiefs. I would change my sermon text in a heartbeat. Find something else. In fact, as I've studied this passage, the point is, and I can say it on the authority of God's word, that the, that the chiefs are irrelevant. Uh, that, the chiefs are, that the chiefs are worthless when it comes to the industry of the ant. All I'm doing is preaching Proverbs 6, friends. We're here... We are dialed in on the sermon, only thinking about the Word of God. <laughs> Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, the ant works. Now, what this is saying is that from the perspective of ancient Near East observation, there is no leader, there is no obvious hierarchy or social structure among the ants. The ant doesn't need to be told what his duties are. The ant has a self-driven work ethic. She doesn't need to be prompted or asked. She is a self-starter who takes initiative toward the work. The ant works really well without a supervisor. The ant doesn't need someone looking over his shoulder as he's going about his work. Bruce Waltke says, rather than having external leaders who both organize the work with regard to its nature and its timing and see it through to completion, the ant possesses a God-given wisdom to work and just as significantly, to order it wisely. The ant is self-governed and self-motivated. And I, I want to encourage us in light of that, I want to encourage each one of us in your home, in your workplace, to look for things to do that you were not required to do. Ways that you can serve others that reflect the fact that you are self-motivated. Ask if there is anything that you can do. Teens, uh, do your parents need to stay on top of you to do your homework or to do whatever work needs to be done? Or do you take initiative to stay on top of it without their reminders, without their rules? Look at the ant. Consider the ant. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, there is this sense of industry, this sense of, of being self-motivated. The biblical story of Joseph, in fact, is a wonderful example of this. In Genesis 37 through 50, it's a compelling example of faithfulness and initiative in work. And it's there in this young man, whether he is serving as a slave, whether he is working in prison, or whether he is serving in the top administrative position in all of Egypt, he is devoted to God in his work. And we see then he is blessed in everything that he does. Be self-governed. Be self-motivated in your work. Third, plan and organize. Verse 8. 
as we continue to consider the ant. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. The ant is not just concerned about the present, but is looking to the future. And through this planning, through this organizing, they gather enough to get them through the winter. There is planning, there is organization. Proverbs chapter 30 mentions the ants again in verses 24 and 25. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. And the first creature given as an example, the ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. So here's the thing, it's not just hard work, it's wise work. Just because there's a lot of activity doesn't mean you're active with the right things. Just because you are busy doesn't mean that you are productive. Whatever your work may be, there should be strategic planning, there should be self-assessment, there should be goals. And this is what the ant, the ant brings, foresight, a sense of priorities, planning for the future. How can I steward my time well? Young people should consider how will I provide for myself and perhaps for others in the future. There is this sense of planning and looking to the future. Fourth, practice teamwork. Ants are team players who work well together. There is a solidarity. There is a harmony. There is a unity. And so whether it is those that we work with our, our co-workers, whether it's those that we work for and encounter in our work, we should demonstrate patience. We should demonstrate humility. We should demonstrate servanthood. We should demonstrate encouragement. We ought to love others as Christ has loved us, and our desire is that we would be a joy to work with. That should be our ambition. And our desire to be a, a team player, to be a joy to work with. Five, shun all sluggard-like tendencies. <laughs> Here, verses 9 through 11 is where the sluggard is corrected. Where do we find the sluggard? He's in bed. He's in bed sleeping because the sluggard loves to sleep. The sluggard loves the snooze button. The sluggard is habitually lazy and inactive. He loves ease. He loves endless YouTube videos. He loves endless video games and endless entertainment. He tries to get by by doing as little as possible. Here's, here's the sluggard according to Proverbs. He hates hard work. He's proud he procrastinates, and he's full of excuses. It is, a, it is a serious profile that emerges in the book of Proverbs. And the voice of wisdom calls out, how long will you lie there? Verse 9. In other words, when are you going to work? When are you going to do that task? When are you going to take control of your life? When are you going to, to prepare for the future, to move into the work that God has for you to do? How long will you lie there? And then there, so there's a very specific when question in verse 9. But the sluggard says, just let me sleep a little more. Just let me rest a little. I'll get to it. When? How long will you lie there? I'll get to it. There's the absence of commitment. There is the absence of resolve. Proverbs 26 
and it's verses 13 through 16 of Proverbs 26, gives a brilliant picture of the sluggard. There is so much life in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 26, 13, the sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. He says this from bed. You know, so many excuses. Something bad might happen. I can't do it. Someone else should have done it. But no one else is working hard. And on and on with excuses. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. That's the only motion you get from a sluggard. Just rolling over and then back over. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> Zero follow through. Doesn't finish what he starts. Just laying there, sitting there at the table with his hand in a dish. Too lazy to bring the food back to his mouth. The sluggard... The proverb continues, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Not only is there laziness and inactiveness, there is staggering pride and self-confidence. He looks down on others and doesn't see why he needs any wisdom or help. His favorite words are, I know. Aren't you going to do that? I know, I know. In other words, leave me alone. The sluggard's wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. I was affected this week looking at the profile of the sluggard, reminded that we have all sinned through our sluggard-like tendencies, and that is why we need the forgiveness that Christ alone can bring. We all need to shun sluggard-like tendencies in our work, in our pursuit of godliness and in all of life. I'm thrilled that the young adults in the church are studying this topic of zeal because that is what is needed as the great antidote to laziness and to sluggard tendencies. And here's the good news. The good news is that because Christ died upon the cross for all of our sins, including our laziness, we are not paralyzed by guilt but we are free to serve the Lord with gladness. We are not bound by laziness. However great the pull of this world is on our hearts towards ease, towards the life of a sluggard, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The power of God is at work in us to triumph over sin. One author talks about what diligence and faithfulness and zeal can look like in our work and gives this example that I wanted to share with you. A woman who rang up and bagged groceries and whose sphere of influence was only six square feet is the example. Every day she greeted her customers with genuine enthusiasm, remembering customers' names and asking about their families. She would end every conversation by saying that she was going to pray for their family. Over time, this caused problems for people wanted to get in her aisle, which resulted in larger lines. People would wait, though, because they enjoyed being with her, encouraged just by her presence. At her funeral, years after she retired, the church was packed to standing room-only capacity. 
And she was eulogized again and again by people whom she had encouraged for years. There's someone who is shunning all sluggard-like tendencies. Sixth, care about money. Care about money. In verse 11, poverty is personified as a robber and as an armed military soldier. And poverty here doesn't just mean having a little bit to get by. It means absolute destitution. The sluggard does not have the basic necessities of life. And this poverty, this destitution has come upon him in a surprise attack. Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. There will be lack. There will not be the resources for getting by. There are over a dozen proverbs that connect laziness and poverty. Money is a legitimate motivation for work. Now, so much could be said about this. We are not living for money. We are living for Christ. And you cannot serve two masters. It will be one or the other. But it is pleasing to Christ when you work hard in order to avoid poverty and to provide for yourself and to give generously to others. And so just as we need to avoid the lie that vocation is unspiritual, we also need to reject the lie that money is unspiritual. Care about money. And then last and seventh, expect God to work through you. The worker who has learned from the ant, the worker who has this reflected in your own life, the worker who is diligent and wise and faithful should anticipate being used by God to bring great blessings to others in your ordinary work. That's what you should anticipate. That's what you should expect. Great blessings being brought to others as God uses you in, not in your extraordinary work, not in your unusual and spectacular work, in your ordinary work. God will use it. Let me give this example. My brother-in-law, Brian, is an engineer. He has worked for a company for decades making LCD display screens for military and medical purposes. He, uh, he gave me permission to share this, this story with you. One day at work, Brian responded to a coworker with irritation and anger. The coworker was correcting Brian on a procedural point, and technically he was right, but it was something that everyone does the particular way that he was doing it, and the criticism was only directed toward Brian. Brian shoved shrugged him off and ignored him as he was speaking to him, as he was bringing this adjustment. He didn't look at him. He didn't respond. As Brian went about his day, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit that he had sinned, and the Spirit was prompting Brian to ask his co-worker for forgiveness. At first, he really strongly didn't want to, right? Because this guy is not a Christian, it could be, like, super weird. Um, and the coworker wasn't without fault himself. And so 
But Brian had this, this sense, this ongoing sense, and he couldn't shake it. And so he went to his coworker later that day and asked him for forgiveness. His coworker forgave him. Sometime later, his coworker came to Brian and said, <laughs> he was mystified. And he said, he said, Brian, I've never experienced that in my life, ever. No one has ever apologized and said they are wrong to me. And he said, Brian, there's something different about you. I've worked with you for two decades, and I've never known someone with your peace and your joy. And you are respectful to me and to others. And Brian explained that he is a Christian, that he seeks to apply the gospel to his work and to his relationships. And the man said, well, I want to go to church where you go to church. And so he went to our sister Sovereign Grace Church, and he went to their bridge course, and he was saved by the power of God, and he was baptized, and he was added as a member to the church. Brian, Brian would say that his witness in that case was not his bold evangelism, was certainly not shoving Jesus at people who don't want to hear about him. It was the witness of his faithful presence, his daily life and work as an engineer reflected something of what it means to be a Christian in everyday life. As you learn from the ant, as you connect faith and work Friends, expect God to do great things. Expect God to work through us to change lives for the glory of God alone. Go to the ant. Consider her ways. Be faithful and diligent in all your labors and anticipate what God will do even through the witness of work done for his glory. I do want to invite the band to return, and I'd like to invite you to stand as well. There's one more thing I want to share with you. In the book, Every Moment Holy, Every Moment Holy, it's a collection of, of prayers or liturgies for various circumstances. It's written by a man named Doug McKelvey. Um, there's a particular prayer, a particular liturgy, called a liturgy for one who is employed. Uh, we've emphasized throughout this series, and it's important to understand that work is broader than employment. And some of our hardest workers are those who are not employed for their work, but are faithful in their work and have gone to the ant, considered her ways, and are reflecting that. But I wanted to close by reading a liturgy for one who is employed, which in fact has application for all of us in our work. It says this, O Christ who supplies my every need. I praise you for all provisions and for the means by which they are provided. For my current employment in this season of life, I give you thanks. By it, may I meet my own needs and contribute to the needs of others. Let me work and serve in this position with mindfulness creativity, and kindness, loving you well by loving all whom I encounter here. Jesus, be ever present as mediator between me and my employer, between me and my supervisors and coworkers, and in all my dealings with others in this work, reminding me that my treatment of them is the strongest evidence of my affection for you. 
Grant me, therefore, the patience to listen to others, the humility to learn from them, the compassion to consider their needs as my own, and the grace to wear well in this place the name of my Lord, remembering that I arrive here each day as an emissary of your kingdom. Let me be an asset to my employer and supervisors, working for their flourishing without resentment. Let me be a support to my peers, contributing to their advancement without jealousy. Let me be an encouragement to any I train or lead, affirming and equipping them without disdain. May the days of my employment here be meaningful. Use this chapter in my life to accomplish your ends, whatever they may be. May my presence here daily suggest your presence here. And may the outworking of the gospel be always evident in this, my work, that my service as an employee might be ever reckoned and received as service first rendered unto you, O Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord. Please.